Wow, it's great to sing gospel truths together, isn't it? Uh, he is our living hope. I love the theology of that song and uh, the truth that it puts forth and the almost like the stamp on the end of it, um, declaring that Jesus Christ is God. Um, so uh, just wonderful, great, great way to lead us into our passage this morning in John chapter 8. We're going to be looking at John chapter 8. Verses 31 through 38, the true children of Abraham, part one. This is not a prediction that I will not finish the sermon this morning uh, in in any way, but just that this theme continues on through past the verses where we'll be this morning. And we've been, as you know, studying the book of John together on Sunday morning, and we find ourselves continuing this conversation that Jesus is having with the Jewish people, especially the leaders, most likely the Pharisees, and we come to this very striking turn, when after Jesus again expresses who he is and where he is from, it says in John chapter 8 and verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. And uh, it may be better to actually render that many believed him. There's a a question about that there. Uh, But you'll see why that tends to maybe be a better understanding as we work through our passage this morning. We have to wonder if there should not have been rejoicing in this revelation that some who had been so opposed to him are now believing in him or believing him. So let's look and see how Jesus responds to this, and then we'll unpack his response together. If you would, please, would you stand just one more time this morning as I read aloud our passage and you follow along. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. That is the word of God. You may be seated. May he bless it in both the Old and New Testament reading this morning. Would you join me once again in prayer? Lord, as we open your word this morning, we are reminded that your Holy Spirit has inspired these words in the original autographs uh, for which we have reliable English translations that we are studying from this morning. And even as we're reminded of your Spirit's work in inspiration, we also remember your Spirit's work in illumination for those of us who are in Christ this morning. So Lord, we pray for that illumination. And we pray, Lord, for conviction, we pray for comfort, and we pray that uh, those who are in our midst who do not know you, that your Spirit would draw them by truth this morning, Lord, that they would be drawn to you by your Spirit, that you would give them the gift of faith and repentance, and that they might exercise those and, Lord, be reconciled to you this morning. May those of us who know you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and be challenged this morning by what we see in this text. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to humble me and get me out of the way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You know, doubt many of you uh, know the end that October always marks the anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, October 31st in particular, uh, when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg, or Wittenberg more properly, church door. What Luther did that day was not uncommon in the sense that many people would go and nail sort of these conversation piece things, these you know, ideas and, and such to the door of the church to raise conversation and discussions. Uh, but what he did uncommonly, uh, or the Lord, I should say, did through that event was set off a rescue of the pure gospel, which had been obscured by the dogma of the medieval Roman Catholic Church. The issue was one of the gospel and really ultimately whether or not faith alone saves That is, that a person believes in the finished work of Christ alone in order to be reconciled to God. It is not a mixture of faith and good deeds. That was the sort of pillar, if you will, of the Reformation. But the Reformers never denied that good deeds were not to follow one who was truly converted. They also insisted that faith is not alone. And also that faith is not a one-time event, but that the true believer will keep on believing until the end. My friend and scholar, Dr. Kurt Daniel, puts it this way, quote, A true believer always continues to believe, otherwise he is not a true believer. Let me just give you that part of the quote again. A true believer always continues to believe, otherwise he is not a true believer. The word believe in John 3.16 and elsewhere is in the present continuous sense, end quote from Dr. Daniel. In our text today, we will see Jesus speak of this as one who abides in his word. This idea of a true believer continuing to believe. Jesus uses this language here and in John 15, uh, we'll see, uh, that, that those who are truly his abide in him. They abide in his word. If you believe, you will continue to abide in the word of Jesus. It is not one who believes once and never believes again, as we will see. And as we learn time and time again, this has so much to do with the object of one's faith. So even as I say that, I don't want you to imagine that I'm somehow saying that if you have enough uh, gumption and and enough uh, fortitude to believe and continue to believe that somehow this makes sure that you are born again. No, no. This is the object of one's faith, continues to be that the object of their faith continually, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And abiding in his word is to believe what he says and also to do what he says. If you love me, he says, you will what? Keep my commandments. And this is not in any way some sort of earning of salvation or of grace because it would not be grace and it would not be mercy if we earned it. But uh, the fact is, is the object of our faith remains the same throughout the life of the Christian. In who or what are we believing? And once again, we see the Jews to whom Jesus is speaking reveal that their trust is not ultimately in who Jesus is, as signified by where he comes from. He's been talking about that, where he is from and who he is. But the Jews to whom Jesus is speaking reveal that their trust is not ultimately in who Jesus is as signified by where he comes from, but rather who they are and where they come from. You see the difference? Did you catch the difference there? They don't believe in who Jesus is or where, which is signified by where he comes from. They continue to hold to that they are those who receive this 
because of who they are and where they come from. So here's the main point this morning. It's written for you on the back of your worship folder there. It's, it should be in an email that you received uh, this week if you're watching the live stream this morning. Physical heritage does not guarantee spiritual relationship. Physical heritage does not guarantee spiritual relationship. This is what Jesus is challenging and will continue to challenge even as we move past the verses that we study together this morning. I want us to see this morning three facts related to the true children of Abraham. And you're going to look at these, maybe these three truths that we talk about this morning. You say, how does that relate to the idea of the true children of Abraham? Well, I think we'll be able to unpack that together this morning as we walk through it. But, but the first fact that we see that Jesus gives here is that freedom comes from truth. Freedom comes from truth. You will not be free unless you understand the truth. And we see this in verses 31 through 33. Notice it says, first of all, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. Again, verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. This is a clear tie back to verse 30, where it says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Many had believed in him. He is now talking to those to whom he knows have some sort of a belief. But notice, even as we see this phrase, many believed him or believed in him, there is no parade. There is not a, a, a cheering section that Jesus sort of whips up saying, look at all these converts. Instead, Jesus actually challenges their belief. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Jesus uses a conditional phrase here. If you believe in my word, or if you abide, I'm sorry, in my word, then you truly are my disciples. What's a disciple? Disciple could be simply, you know, a learner, a follower, uh, someone who is committing themselves to uh, the leadership or following someone. And Jesus is ascribing this activity as that which is done toward him. You can be considered truly my disciple if you abide, if you hold on to my words. True disciples abide in the words of Jesus. True disciples abide in the words of Jesus. They hold on to, they follow the words of Jesus. True disciples are those who listen to God's word, hear what it says, and act upon it, if you will. They believe it. They trust it. They continue in it. This is the idea. Much like the parable of the soils, the sower and the seed, if you recall, Jesus is challenging the reality of their trust. Listen to the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 through 23, as he explains the parable of the sower to his disciples. He says there, Hear then the parable of the sower. So he's already given the parable and now he's explaining it to his disciples privately. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. In other words, Jesus talks about the seeds that are cast, one falls on the path. This is the one, this is the seed that falls on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word 
and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no, he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the idea that those who are truly converted, those who truly come to faith in Christ, there is a transformation in their life, and it is one that continues on throughout their life. Now, I want to be so careful in saying this. It is not as if they never sin. It is not as if even habits of sin cannot form in their life. But to whom are they turning in those times? Are they running back to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are the cares of the world, the tribulations of life, choking out and therefore proving that they were never truly in Him to begin with. What is the idea of perseverance? We speak of that in our theological conversations. We talk about the perseverance of the saints. Those who persevere to the end. What is perseverance other than abiding in the Word of the Lord? Jesus, again, we mentioned this earlier, returns to the abiding in John 15 where he says that those who abide in him will grow as they are attached to the vine. But those who are not attached to the vine will be thrown out and what? Burned. As D.A. Carson shows us in his commentary on this passage, quote, John in his gospel has already introduced the, the theme of fickle faith. In John chapter 2 and verse 23, the many people who believed in his name when they saw the miraculous signs Jesus was doing turn out to have an untrustworthy faith in the very next two verses. No, those who are truly disciples of Jesus will abide in his words, all of his words. Disciples who abide in the words of Jesus will know the truth. For one to continue to be a disciple of Jesus, they need to remain in His Word, and this will give them truth. Dear, dear ones, when we desire to know what God thinks about our sin, about the world, about righteousness, about holiness, we must turn to His Word. We must not turn to, as Paul says in Colossians, we must not be uh, held captive by deceitful philosophies of mankind, but rather we turn to the Word of God. And within the Word of God is contained God's truth about Himself, about who we are, about who the Lord Jesus Christ is, about how we as Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are to live our lives, again, just to emphasize, not to earn favor with God, but because the favor has been earned and we desire out of gratitude to love the Lord Jesus Christ by obeying His commandments. And dear ones, when we know what the truth is, what does Jesus say here? If you abide in my word, 
You are my disciples truly, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Free from what? Well, free from the lies of the devil, certainly. Think even back to the garden. What is the lie of the devil? Has God really said? Dear ones, that is the lie that continues to permeate our minds and our lives and our culture. That very question, has God really said? And where do we turn to get the answer for that? Return to God's Word. We abide in the Word. And the truth sets us free from the lie and the lies, plural, of the devil. Has God really said? And we open God's Word and we say, yes, He has really said. Sets us free. Sets us free from a dead religion of works. Sets us free from... Uh, The idea that um, if we can do enough that God will accept us. The law, the truth of God's word though comes in and crashes in on that plan and says you can never do enough. That's dear, dear ones why by the way when we preach the gospel we must also preach the law first. So that people hear the truth of their sinfulness. We preach law and gospel. We preach that all fall short of God's glorious standard because all are sinners compared to the holy, righteous character of God. It sets us free from self-righteousness. We are set free from the the, the idea that we can somehow stand before God and we compare ourselves to other people in the world and say, well, see, I'm not as bad as this person or that person. Therefore, God must accept me. Once again, the the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, uh, dividing down to the bone and the marrow, separating that, showing us once again that there is only one who is righteous, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We are set free from sin's power, not sin's presence quite yet, but that promise is there. Uh, that deserves a hearty amen because we're looking forward to that day. But, but currently, if you are in Christ, you are free from sin's power. You have the ability in the Lord Jesus Christ, by the indwelling of His Spirit, by the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, to say no to sin. Now, certainly unbelievers, unregenerate people, have that ability as well, but it is not... A total freedom from sin. In other words, unbelievers don't do every sinful impulse that comes across their mind. Thank goodness. That's called God's common grace. We're grateful for that. But we as believers have truly been set free. We have died to sin, Paul says in Romans chapter 6. We are able to say no to sin. And we are looking forward to that day, are we not, when we are free from sin's presence as well. But the response of those to whom Jesus is speaking is not one of understanding. Had it been one of understanding, just like the good soils, it would have taken root in their life. But rather they say something very different to that. Verse 33, they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? The truth is, That Jesus has been speaking 
has not affected them and they cannot see their condition. Now, on the one hand, we find it kind of funny that Jewish people would say they've never been captive to anyone, never been slaves to anyone, because we can trace from Egypt uh, to the Assyrian and Babylonian captivities uh, through uh, other historical captivities of the Jews. And at this time, they are currently under the rule of Rome, and it is not a uh, democratic republic, okay? In fact, in the common vernacular, the idea is Caesar is God. Caesar is Lord. You submit to Caesar no matter what. And it is a kind of of slavery then. But to think that in the minds of the Jews at this time, that's the only thing they're thinking of, and they could not reflect upon that and and know that. I mean, they would have to be like total um, dunces to not understand that they had been in captivity. They are actually claiming to be free from sin here. This is a spiritual matter for them. They understand what Jesus is saying. They had to understand that they had been enslaved at one time. But the truth had not affected them. They they tie their confidence of their spiritual lineage back to their physical lineage. So even as they're thinking about spiritual freedom here, they're tying it back not to understanding who God truly is, but back to who they are and where they come from. As I mentioned earlier, they're not thinking about who Jesus is saying He is and where He comes from. They have not understood the parallel between the freedom of being set free from Egypt and the parallel of God setting them free spiritually. What was the very next thing that happens in the history of Israel when, they, when they're set free from their bondage? Uh, uh, they, they, they go in and they don't conquer everyone. And so therefore, what happens? They prove themselves, many of them, to continue to be spiritual slaves. Why? Because they get into idolatry. And then what does God do again? He says, okay, you're held captive by these idols in your heart. Therefore, I'm going to put you back into captivity, back into slavery. And what happens? They lament once again that they're in slavery. And Lord, please forgive us. I'm, 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 I'm summarizing things here a bit. Um, because it's 70 um, years, right? And so um, then it happens again and again throughout their history. They don't correlate the physical being set free to the God who can set them free spiritually. And even though they claim that they have never been slaves in any sense, the combination of the statements about Abraham and not being in slavery and their understanding of these matters are so focused on what? The external. They're focused on the physical. They're focused on the demands that they have come up with regarding the law. We again come to something we emphasized last week. People in general tend to be concerned about the external and not to the heart. About the external and not to the heart. When we proclaim the gospel to people, we are to help them see, just as we need to see, the wickedness of their hearts that desires to remain in sin and seek to justify itself. Rather than seeing its own depravity over against the law of God which displays His holiness, in which we are made aware by God's grace and the drawing of His Spirit, the desperate need we have of Him. That is what preaching the law and the gospel does. 
It exposes the heart and it makes people realize their desperate need of God. And one who has been granted the gift of faith does not discontinue that faith once they are converted, but they actually grow in that faith and respond in gratitude because of that faith. That is one piece of application we can take from this, is that we need to be asking ourselves and challenging ourselves in the same way that Jesus does here. If we say we believe, does our belief continue? Are we abiding in the Word of God? Is the wisdom of man more important to us than the wisdom of God as we turn to His Word? Do we continue to believe that God is a good and faithful Savior? In the case of the current conversation that Jesus is having with the Jews, it is true that they were physical seeds from the physical seed of Abraham, yes. Is it true that they were never slaves? No, both physically and spiritually. And both of these realities give Jesus the opportunity to tell them what he is really speaking about, which is our second point. Truth reveals the problem. You'll see some overlap in our points here today. Truth reveals the problem. Jesus gets straight to the heart of the issue, which is the heart. <laughs> Look at verse 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly. Now remember, just pause for a moment here and re- remind you. Most rabbis, when they spoke, they would say their piece and then at the end say, amen. Say truly. Jesus begins with a double one at the beginning. Truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, what I'm about to say to you is true. The stamp is at the beginning, not the end. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You are, Jesus says, in fact, slaves. You've got it wrong. To these who he's speaking to, you are slaves to sin. So let's pause for a moment and just ask this question. What should we understand about being slaves to sin? Number one, each person is born into the world as a sinner. Each person who is born into this world is born a sinner. There is no innocence, no neutral ground. I know we talk about babies that way. Oh, look at the little innocent baby. And we understand what we mean when we say that, you know, that they, they are innocent in the sense that they have not sinned yet. Parents of newborn children, it doesn't take very long, right, uh, for us. I remember one time uh, right after one of our children was born, I, I never say their names because they get too embarrassed, but um, one of our missionaries in our church was holding one of our children and just looking at that child and said, I'm just looking for the Adamic nature. (laughs) The nature of Adam, right? It's there. It's there. Each person who is born in this world is born a sinner. There's no innocence, no neutral ground. Jesus is preaching about the depravity of mankind. He is preaching that all who are born in Adam are slaves to sin. Now again, that sinfulness doesn't necessarily manifest itself the moment a child is out of the womb, but they are sinners who will sin. And interestingly, Jesus is saying the law to which the Jews cling as a means to save them actually condemns them as slaves. They were using the law as a means to try to say, we can attain this relationship with God. We are in Abraham. We are His seed. Therefore, we are given these things and we obey them. But he's saying that that same law actually condemns you as a slave to sin. 
practice of their sin right there in his presence shows that they are not truly converted. What is their sin? Well, they are not clinging to the words of Jesus. They are not abiding in his word. Notice what Jesus says here about this. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. What is Jesus trying to draw out here in his words? He's trying to show that there's a permanency for those who are sons and daughters, who are adopted children in the family of God. Uh, There's a permanency for the son. The slave does not remain forever. Now, we can't take the analogy too far uh, here, like every analogy, it breaks down at some point. But um, the status of a slave changes over time. The son's status does not change. Therefore, you want to move from, in Jesus' illustration here, you want to move from being known as a slave to sin to a son, to a son of God, to being in the family. And then he says, interestingly, So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. What is Jesus saying here? Of course, Jesus has already explained to them that He is the Son, the eternal Son of God. And in so doing, He has the right as the one who is heir to that, as the firstborn, to declare other children to be the same. And so He's saying, look, here here is the eternal Son of God right here in your presence, telling you that you must believe me or believe in me. And not only that, you must abide in that belief. You must abide in my word. You must listen to the words I'm saying, believe them, hear them, and follow them. Slaves to sin cannot do that. Only true sons can do that. And what I'm telling you sets you free. And if I set you free, you are free, as they say today, for reals. (laughs) Abbreviated F-R-F-R, for real, for real, right? You are sons indeed. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. There's no question. There's no question. You guys get the good stuff in the first service. I'm not going to remember that next service. But you are free indeed. There's no question about your freedom. If the Son is the one who sets you free, you are free indeed. Essentially, Jesus is saying, if you abide in my words, you will understand what I'm saying and you'll truly be free. But you insist on saying that Abraham is your father and you got this. But you're missing it. You're missing it. For us, the truth this morning is this. If you have not trusted in Christ, you are a slave to sin. But the good news is you can become a son or daughter today. You must hear what Jesus is saying here. Trust Him. And if you are truly in Him, you will continue to abide in His Word. And this leads to what the true son can do. Our last point this morning Truth corrects the problem. Truth corrects the problem. Or we might even say it this way, truth corrects the lie. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus corrects their error. I know 
that you are the offspring of Adam, yet you seek to kill, or Abraham, I'm sorry, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. In fact, they are the offspring of Adam, and they need to be offspring of the true son. I know that you are sons of Abraham physically. But in spite of this, you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. You see, ultimately, you can claim Abraham as your physical father, but you cannot claim him as your spiritual father, which is the important thing. And we read that in Genesis 15 this morning. Did we not? Abraham or Abram at that time believed God and it was counted him as what? Righteousness. It was reckoned to his account as righteousness. It was imputed to his account. The the retroactive righteousness of Christ from Christ's life, perfect life on earth, his death and his resurrection, though it had not happened yet, in the timeline of God, which is eternity, that is what assures that Abram, Abraham is righteous. Real quick theology lesson, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 says that the seed will come and crush the head of the serpent. We see other indications of the seed throughout the Old Testament, not the least of which is when Abraham is told that his seed will bless all the nations. Paul says that seed is Christ, is Messiah. Israel needed to believe that God was going to send a Messiah to rescue them. And whatever level of belief or how they understood that, we don't quite understand from this perspective, from where we are today. They took God at His word. That's what faith is. That's what belief is. They took God at His word and it was counted to them as righteousness. And and Jesus is saying, you can claim all you want to be the physical seed of Abraham, and you are right in that, but your hearts are reflecting that you are not because you seek to kill me. You're not like Abraham. You may be blood-related to him, but you do not have the same faith as he has. In fact, Jesus will say later in this very passage that Abraham saw his day, he saw Messiah's day, and he, what, rejoiced. Isn't that amazing to think about? Now, Abraham didn't know Jesus' name. He didn't know all of how that was going to work out. But the gospel preached to Abraham was, there is coming a seed, there is one who is coming, who will bless the entire world. And Abraham believed that, and it was counted him. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ that came in the new covenant, which is the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, that Abraham receives. The Scriptures prove out that those who are true children of Abraham are those who are offspring by faith. That's why I entitled this, The True Children of Abraham, Part 1. We're going to see more of this. But those who are truly children of Abraham are those who are his offspring by faith. And Jesus goes on to tell them once again why he is able to say what he is saying. Look at verse 38. I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. Jesus, once again, relates his message to what the Father has sent him to do. This is not only a man who stands before them. This is the God-man. This is God incarnate. And he has given grounds for belief because of the works he has done, the miracles he has uh, performed, and now he is telling them what is true. He is truth. But they reject it. Why? Because you have heard what you have from your father. 
In the context, he will say later on, they are children of the devil. You do what is sinful because you have heard it from the father of lies. And the father of lies is saying and whispering into your ear, once again, as he did in the garden, has God really said? And God is standing before you saying, yes, God has really said. And you want to kill him. Ultimately, the fruit of their actions prove that they have not really believed in Jesus. People can say, but what does their life show? Not just externally, but what is driving their heart? Are they abiding in the words of Jesus? People can say that they trust in Jesus, but what does their life show? This isn't just about externals, it's what's driving our hearts. Are we abiding in the words of Jesus? This is, by the way, I'll say it again just to make sure you get it. This is all of grace. This is God's grace and mercy in our life. This is not grace mixed with works. This is the fruit of genuine faith in the true believer, which is all of grace. The point that I'm trying to drive home this morning from this text for us who are in Christ is not to try harder, but rather believe Jesus and what he says. Obey his word because you delight in it and fight against sin with truth, not your wisdom, but with God's wisdom. You want to defeat sin? Believe what God says about it. Believe that he has your best in mind. Don't believe the lie that says, did God really say? Fight that with the truth. Yes, he did say, and I need to obey him because in that is the greatest joy and the greatest delight that God has for me. Dear ones, abiding in God's word, abiding in truth, sets you free. The the lie of the devil to those who are unregenerate is God wants to restrict you. He wants to kill your joy. No, the greatest amount of joy is found in him, and, and, and he is the treasure. He is the treasure. Believer, are you abiding in God's word? Or are you resting in something of your own making? Trust him. Continue to trust him. If you're one who is not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're here in our midst this morning, my prayer for you, my plea to you is that you would turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone as the only way to be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Lord, we pray this morning that the truth that we have heard for those who are in Christ would draw us closer to you, that we would believe what you say, that we would follow it, that we would abide in the words of Jesus, which is all of the Bible. And Lord, may we continue to grow in Christ. For those who do not know you, I pray that today would be the day that you would draw them to yourself by your spirit, that you would show them their sin, Lord, and that you would overwhelm them with your grace through Christ. Give them faith and repentance to believe and to turn from their sin. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.